Hey, what's up? I hope everybody's doing as well as you can. Thank you so much for listening. Honestly, whenever you guys reach out and say, hey, the the podcast, the Karate Kid thing, which a lot of people like, check that one out. The Rewatchables, Bill and I break down the Karate Kid. The redrafting stuff that we're doing, which we're going to do today. So the entire podcast today is Chris Ryan, Bill Simmons, and myself. 1998 redraft, an incredible draft. I'm not going to set it up too much because Bill kind of does that. He's he's running this ship on these redrafts. So thank you, thank you, thank you for checking out the podcasts as much as you have been and uh, letting us know that you enjoy them during a certainly trying time. This Thursday, I don't know which famous guy we're going to roll with first. Maybe a big time showrunner. That's a term for a guy that runs a show. You create the show, you sit in the room, you run the show. Although showrunner doesn't necessarily always have to be the one that creates it. But you know what? I digress. Uh, famous rappers, maybe even a few jazz musicians. We got a lot of stuff going on. A lot of stuff. So we're excited about that. One thing that I do want to talk about is I've mentioned with Bill, and I said this with Cowherd when I went on a show of Fox Sports this past week, was that I, I'm always kind of fascinated, like what, what are the, not always unintended consequences, although I always love that one because it's just hard to figure out ahead of time, but what will happen with payroll? What will happen with compensation? What will happen with decisions that leagues will have to make here? What are some of the things that we can't predict right now? What are the conversations? Like this stuff is just really, really interesting. And it's always prefaced with, yes, the most important thing is not sports. We get that. But, um, one thing that I, I did with Bill where hours after the season was suspended. And I probably touch more on this on Thursday because I've kind of reworked this open that I want to do this opening rant. But my whole position was let's give people some time to figure this thing out. But I, that's then been turned into that. All I'm doing is sticking up for billionaires all the time, which is definitely not the case. But if you're simple and that's the way you want to decipher it, then go ahead and do that. And something else that's become very simple is the NCAA has done a lot of things that most all of us reasonable people, even down the middle, would say, hey, the NCAA needs to do a better job of that. You know, you're paying coaches a ton of money. You spend money on all sorts of stuff to prevent whatever you can from actually paying the players. And the players should be paid more to what degree. We're all over the place on that one, right? But the players should be compensated a little bit more. But the general feeling is the NCAA makes a decision and everybody hates the decision. And the NCAA made a decision this week in the face of all of the stuff to extend spring athletes another year of eligibility. So I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Like that looks good. And they're like, okay, here we go again. All the people in the media that hate the NCAA, instead of just saying, hey, the NCAA, which I don't like, they did something good here. It's no, I can't even bring myself to that. And that's what I don't understand. I don't understand why you can be anti-owner, but you could also think it's reasonable to give owners some time to navigate through this. And for some owners are going to screw it up. Some owners are going to do nothing. The Bruins situation is brutal. The Sixers try to cut salaries, but I think there's more to it that goes on than we understand because most of us never run a big business and some of them are just evil. And some of it is about benefits and what people are eligible for and trying to get through all of that. And yeah, I don't think all 120 plus pro owners are going to do the right thing at all. That was never my point. Uh, and I don't think the NCAA does the right thing the majority of the time. That was never my point. But I do think it's something you should try to challenge yourself to do. It's like, I don't like this thing, this entity, this business, this person, this billionaire. But in this instance, this one specific thing, and whatever that is, you'd be like, hey, I think they made the right decision. Because the NCAA allowing eligibility, despite the complications that come with it, and some questions that still aren't answered in the time that the NCAA had to put into this to try to figure out financial aid, scholarship counts, transfer rules, and all this different thing. Um, 
these these are tw- these are two things in the last few weeks where I've been like, oh wait a minute, so everybody's doing this again now. You're demanding NBA owners to have a solution the next morning after the Jazz Thunder game. That seems to be aggressive, and that was always kind of my point. And it's been, I don't even know if it's misunderstood. I just think that that's how people are. I think people are programmed to go. Well, I've always felt this way about this thing, so I'm just not going to change my mind. Like, I hate the NCA, so why would I give them credit for doing something that I think is good? Let me just try to find a way to be negative about it. So I think that's the overall point. That's the point that I'll always try to make with stuff. There'll be things that I don't like that I'll go, I actually agree with what they did here. Try it. Today's episode of the Ryan Rosillo Podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network is brought to you by State Farm. Just like basketball, the game of life is unpredictable. Talk to a State Farm agent and get a teammate who can help you navigate the unexpected. Teammates, hmm. Um, Let's see here. Oh, you know what was expected? Sorry, State Farm, not unexpected. ESPN bumping up the Michael Jordan documentary April 19th. April 19th. We've seen some of the stuff. We've talked about some of the stuff behind the scenes. This thing's going to be insane. And I actually think a younger generation of NBA fans that I don't blame you. Most people don't want to go back and watch YouTube games. More people are doing it now. But I really urge you, if you're somebody that tries to argue generational players, go watch some of those guys that played before. Crazy idea, I know. But this Jordan thing is going to help update his standing and update his perception because you're going to go. And I wasn't like some massive Jordan guy growing up at all, okay? I just wasn't. Uh, It's not like I didn't appreciate it or I didn't have those weekends in college where it was the NBA on NBC and that's just what we did. We just watched the NBA. It's actually very footballish how into the NBA we were on the weekends, um, which I don't know if that was... I don't think that was rare. I think that was very common back then. Day NBA, NBC games where you were just like, this is what we're doing. Um, And Jordan was a big part of that. But I wasn't always rooting for Jordan. I just appreciated it the whole time. If it was on, I was going to watch, but it wasn't something where I was obsessed with him at all. Like, look, I liked Barkley. And then once I started getting my roots down correctly, you know, I started liking the Celtics more later, which was the worst because I ended up liking them during times where it was like, yeah, why didn't you like them before? I was like, well, because I just like Barkley that much. So the Jordan thing will be, you know, you're going to see some of these things. For those of you who are younger that are listening to this, you're just going to go, wait a minute. So he had 41 a game in that Suns Barkley final season in 93 series. Uh, he had 11 assists a game in his first finals, I think against the Magic led Lakers. See what I did there? That was a Tarico where I said the sentence wrong, but I fixed it on the fly. Although he would have fixed it a lot better than I just did. So, yeah, there's going to be some of you that are going to go, I knew kind of Jordan's deal, but my God. And the fact that every other player that talks about him talks about him in such, like, just awe. And there's a few people on the earth that deserve awe, and MJ is certainly one of them. So, there you go. Get a teammate who can help you navigate the unexpected. Talk to a State Farm agent today. Shout out State Farm. Let's do this podcast. Bill Simmons is going to take the lead. All right, it's the 98 redraft. When I asked Chris Ryan to do this and I told him the to draft and the other co-host other than myself, Ryan Rosillo, I think it was his greatest moment in 2020. It's, you know, not, not a great year for any of us, but this is going to bring some uh, levity and some happiness to all of us. This is the fucking craziest draft of all time. I have a Simmons crapshoot rating for each draft, which I use the acronym SCRAP for. This is... <laughs> This is a 10 out of 10. It is unbelievable. It was unbelievable. It was happening. It's unbelievable to look at now. It's probably the only draft where you could actually do a documentary about this draft and I would watch it for two hours. Uh, Chris, what's your biggest memory of this draft? 
Uh, I mean, m- mostly just the disrespect shown to Rafer Alston. <laughs> no, I mean it was the it was the trades, and it was uh, it was definitely the formation of that of that Don Nelson Mavericks team. Oh, how about you, Rosillo? The Mavs thing is a headline because not only did they add Dirk in this, they added Nash, and you know that was a trade. I have some amazing research that I did this morning on reactions from local markets on some of the stuff, which I know is right up your alley because I know you're probably going to read us the Boston Globe from three straight weeks, but. There was, there was a couple lessons in it for me. It was still we hated Euros, okay? We still hated Euros because it's like, who's this dirt guy? And then the dirt impact on what it meant for every other tall white guy for like the next four or five years because people didn't know what to do. It was learning that Don Nelson is like the last guy you want to sit at a poker table with because I was lucky enough later on, years later, like some of the guys in the front office of Celtic story who were part of that draft room, Chris Wallace, Leo Papil, like they told me all about it and they were awesome telling me the stories, being like, we knew Don, we knew Don. Don was going to figure out some way because the Celtics thought they were getting Dirk. And then the oddity of oddities is like, like you, how did Paul Pierce go 10th? It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, so, Dirk I can forgive. Like the Dirk stuff is... There was a curve back then, but the Pierce thing is still, I mean, it, it haunts any Sixers fan who thinks of the name Larry Hughes. I did a draft diary with my dad at his old house. and Shout out to the old we, house. And, you know, I'm taking notes, but then I'm also going to run, uh, you know, over the computer and type all the notes in. And my notes are, we think Pierce is going to go in the top three. He's either going to go two to Vancouver or he's going three to Denver. And we have our fingers crossed for Nowitzki. Now, this is the late 90s. We don't have nearly the information highway we have now. We don't have YouTube. We don't have any way to look these guys up. There's just some, a couple of people writing about this guy who kind of seems like he's the German Larry Bird. And he has this one game overseas that had the scouts drooling and he has three-point range. That's all we know. So obviously we fixate on this guy immediately. Like, oh, let's get the German Larry Bird guy named Dirk. This is right after Boogie Nights, Dirk Diggler. Paul Pierce, we watched in college. Like there was no way he was falling. So when he starts falling, by the time Philly passed him, we just assumed something bad had happened. And I remember running over, his computer was in the other room. There's no wireless back then. Running into his office and Googling Paul Pierce drugs Paul Pierce cocaine, (laughs) Paul Pierce scandal. I swear to God, I did this because I was like, something, something terrible, something sinister is happening. But no, it was just everybody fucking up. But I mean, that's a realistic recounting of how crazy this was, right? Yeah, I just love the idea of Simmons doing background, last minute draft background via dial up on Netscape. Yeah, and you weren't you weren't even Googling. What was your you were, search engine? Yeah, you, that was you AOL. Were going to Alta Vista. Yeah, that was AOL, Vista. and it would take it would take forty five seconds to log in, and I'm I'm it's doing that, <laughs> and I'm like, I just want to find out if Paul Pierce has a cocaine problem. Like, just you probably how, could how have paid a Boston this? cop to run a background check in the amount of time it took for you to log that on. Well, the other thing back then, if somebody dropped in a draft, there was so little intel that it just became, you know, almost like a 90210 episode where people yeah. are just like, oh, there's must be something wrong with this guy. I'm just going to pass on him. Like Philly taking Larry Hughes over Iverson. Sorry, Chris. I mean, uh, over Pierce when 
he was the perfect guy to put next to Iverson. And, and the Philly fans would have loved him. It's insane in retrospect. Larry Hughes was a guy, he was 19. He was open about, I'm coming out because my family needs money. I know I'm not ready yet. Like he was basically telling people that. And he didn't really make sense with Iverson either. I'd, I'll never understand that one. Yeah, I mean, the only thing I would say is that what we learned a couple of years later is that no one really made sense with Iverson because the people who made sense with Iverson were Eric Snow and Aaron McKee. It True. wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't Stackhouse or Van Horn or Jimmy Jackson or Larry Hughes. And maybe it wouldn't have been Paul Pierce. It might've just been, we need four scrappers to stand around while this guy does his thing. So when you think about all the legacies of this draft, Rosillo, the Celtics, after having terrible, terrible, terrible luck with Len Bias and Reggie Lewis, stumble into Paul Pierce, who becomes a top 40 all-time guy. Dallas shrewdly pulls off this trade with Nowitzki. It's still unclear why they just didn't take him at six and why they were so confident that if Milwaukee at nine takes Nowitzki, they'll be able to flip him. Like, what if Philly took... Just went off the board and took Nowitzki at eight. What if the Celtics traded up to eight to take Nowitzki and then Dallas just is stuck with tractor trailer? That's an amazing uh, sliding doors. And then you think about Philly, if they had ended up with Pierce or Nowitzki to put with Iverson, now we're talking top 50 guys. It's weird because in the moment, the legacy of this draft seemed like it was going to be this Vince Carter Jameson trade, right, Rosillo? Yeah, because that's that's its own topic. Because if you watch UNC that year, Jameson was the guy. He was 22-something a game. Shamad Williams was the second-leading scorer. And Vince was taking 10 shots a game. And he was really a guy, you know, like he just, he wasn't Jameson. And they were both juniors coming out. So that one actually made a little sense. You're like, yeah, Jameson should go ahead of Carter. But, you know, when I think back to the Larry Hughes part of this, because it's all still connected. So I think we're going to kind of repeat ourselves in certain moments. But like Larry Hughes, this is so long ago. Larry Hughes is part of a trade because Philly got him out of there immediately because Chris, you're right. Like nobody's a fit with Iverson. If Pierce had ended up at eight with Philly, guess who would have gotten traded after three years? Probably Pierce. Like no yeah. one keeps, no, there's no basketball player in the modern era that keeps his team more hostage than Allen Iverson by his style of play. And that's what we learned about it. As exciting and as much as it was for the culture and all the cool parts of it. And I'll save this for my 96 draft, but it just, there, there wasn't really ever a perfect fit unless you were a guy who was like, I actually don't like to score, which is all the guys that Chris just mentioned. But Hughes was gone from Philly so fast. He was part of a Billy Owens trade. Tony Kukoc ended up in that deal. And when you really break down either... You're right, because as much as the Jamison Carter thing was the headline in that flop, looking back on what Don Nelson knew and what the Celtics are trying to do, the Celtics are trying to get this misinformation out there that, ah, you know, even if Dirk's at 10, you know, there's some international signing conflicts, which didn't even make any sense, but that's what they were telling other teams and trying to scare them away. And from what I was told, they they went to bed the night before the draft being like, Don Nelson's going to. He's going to fuck us like he's going to figure out a way to do this. And so I think what happens there, instead of just taking Dirk at six, Nelson knew what Sacramento was doing. He must have known what Philly was doing. So he only had to worry about those two teams. He he must have known way more than the Celtics maybe thought he knew about their situation and the fact that they added the Garrity pick where they took the Garrity um, kid out of Notre Dame at 19 and they flipped that for Steve Nash. So like Don Nelson had to have gone to bed that night after the draft being like, I'm unbelievable. Yet most people, even in Dallas, thought it was stupid. And yeah. people in Milwaukee were like, what an idiot. 
this guy is for giving up on Robert Trailer, which you can find this stuff anywhere. But Dirk was still this unknown. I went back to a mock draft this morning. He wasn't in a Sports Illustrated mock draft. Dirk wasn't in any of the 30 picks. He wasn't in the first round. And we can't uh, overstate. It seemed risky in 1998 to take a foreign dude that didn't play in college. There was still like a real bias against it. But I the just haircut remember, alone. Yeah. I remember when number nine comes up and I'm with my dad and somehow miraculously Pierce and Dirk are on the table. And at that point, we don't know who's going nine. Who did you want? So we have this three minute conversation (laughs) as, as they're kind of trying to figure out what's going on. And both of us were afraid of Pierce. We thought it honestly was like, we thought he was falling for a reason. And I'm embarrassed to say it now, but both of us really wanted Dirk. And that's crazy. We kind of looked at each other and we're like, who do you want? And my dad's like, I think I want this Dirk guy. I think he has a chance to be special. I just really want, I want the footage of this where Bill is (laughs) screaming for Bonzi Wells at this moment. No. Well, (laughs) you think about it though. We had, we had no intelligence or evidence at all that Dirk was going to be good. We knew nothing other than a couple things we had read of the sporting news. I remember there was one draft guy back then who was online. I can't even remember the name of whoever it was. And that person had mock drafts. And other than that, like, how the fuck would you know anything? But for for whatever reason, Dirk just seemed like a safer pick, even though he was a 19-year-old German kid. So anyway, that was uh, phenomenal. We also should mention, you know, one of the fun things about this draft was the Clippers had the first pick. And this is the height of the Elgin Baylor. Oh, they'll fuck up anything at all times. And everybody, there's rumors that they're going to take Michael Oluwa Candy, who at that point is 24 years old. So he's five years older than Dirk Nowitzki. Uh, He's playing for Pacific. There's not really a lot of, you know, evidence that he could be a great player. There's questions about his motor. And the joke was like, Oh, this seems like a classic, terrible Clippers pick, but they won't actually do it. They're not actually going to take him. They'll take Pierce or Mike Bibby. And then they actually took him. And it was one of those things where immediately you knew it was going to end badly, right? Do you guys remember watching this and just being like, oh, that's going to, he'll be a bust. There's no question, right? Yes. Um, uh, you know, we can we could do that thing where it's it's really easy. No, but this was an in-the-moment deal. There's plenty of yeah. times where we'll exaggerate how we felt or, you know, it's it's hard to even remember that moment. But that was a, you know, Rafe could go one, Pierce could go one, you know, Bibby. Here's a side here, question just to marinate on this one. Would Bibby go higher in the draft today, considering the shape he's in, than he did in 1998? <laughs> um, there, was, there was all of these names, like even Jameson. And, and then the other part was like, well, what happens if Rafe, should Pierce go one? I mean, Pierce legitimately was talked about in some circles of all these different possibilities. And then the Olawa Candy thing picks up and we cannot emphasize enough as Bill has. It was just hard to kind of chase down this information. But even in a world where none of us were going on Twitter to rip a rumor about this, whatever circles we were in, we were like, are the Clippers really going to fucking do that? This big guy from Pacific? And he played a lot longer than people probably realized, but it was immediate. The, the lack of impact that he was going to make was immediate once you watch him play. And the other funny thing was a year later, which we're going to cover the 99 draft, when Lamar Odom is available right around the range where they'd pick. And it was the exact same sequence of events. Like, wow, it'd be hilarious if 
that's who they ended up with, like the resident head case in this draft. What oh, a see, terrible idea. Lamar. Well, but it was just like, what a terrible idea on all sides for Lamar Odom, who has a chance yeah. to go to the Clippers. This Everyone loses if this happens. And naturally, they took him. Chris, what do you remember about Olo Candy? I don't remember anything because my interaction with prospects back then was almost entirely based around college basketball and specifically like March Madness. I was like, I was a Temple fan and I obsessively watched the tournament and the conference tournaments. And I just remember being out of my mind about all the Arizona guys. You know, I remember, you know, Bibby and Miles Simon and Dickerson and just kind of being really fired up about a, a bunch of those teams. But even if you wanted to go down a couple of rungs and get talk yourself into Doliacs or, or or like those kind of guys. I just don't understand how, where did Ola Wakandi come from? Like where did that hype come from? And and if they didn't take him at one, there's a chance he falls to the bottom half of the top 10. That Clippers team was 17 and 65. And I guess, you know, the granted it's hard to put yourself in Elgin Baylor's mind. He's one of the worst GMs of all time. But the team they had, they had Rodney Rogers, they had Brent Barry. Uh, I think they had Brent Barry at that point. Lamont Murray. Lloyd uh, Vaught was still there. He was hurt. Eric Piakowski. They needed a center. And this was Lloyd still Vaughn. in the era where teams were like, we need a center. Well, it doesn't make sense to take Paul Pierce. Like, we'll still need a center. We we just got to take all the candy. It was also back when age wasn't really as important as I feel like it is now. We look at somebody who's 24 now. They're almost like a finished What's product. What's this guy? Yeah. Yeah, they're they're pretty much, they are who they are. But in 1998, for some reason, they, they were like, oh, look, Candy's got a lot of upside. Even in the draft, um, when, they, when he got taken, they were talking about his, uh, Doc Rivers, I had in my draft diary that year, he used the word upside three times in 10 seconds. No. For the TNT broadcast, which I compared to DiMaggio hitting in 56 straight games. And then uh, Baylor, they interview him and he calls him Oola Lakanda. He doesn't even say his name correctly and said he has a lot of upside. It's weird that they thought a 24-year-old guy would have upside. Like nobody would think of that that way now. So I think it's one of the reasons this draft was so broken. What do you remember about Mike Bibby going second in the time? Uh, that was a reach. It felt like a reach at the time, just because you still had both the Kansas guys on the block. And you you have to remember what Rafe was when he was healthy was really, really good. And Rafe was probably one of the original stretch bigs because you thought, man, this guy's going to be able to do all sorts of stuff. Like he can spot up, face up. He can attack you on the block. Like all of this stuff was really important. And he was almost ahead of his time. And had he stayed healthy, I think he actually would have had a really good career. I thought Rafe was a good player. Like I'm not saying a perennial all-star or any of that kind of stuff. So even Bibby at two, which you had heard could possibly happen and whatever stuff we were reading, it was you were still going, wait a minute, both Kansas guys are still available here? So that's what I remember, at least, with Bibby at two. It wasn't like outrage. It wasn't Olo Candy. It was just, I can't believe the Kansas guys are still there. And Denver went 11-71 and 71 that season, which <laughs> they were honestly one of the worst teams of all time. And they had their leading scorers were Eric, where Eric Williams only played four games. But then Corey Alexander, uh, LaFonso Ellis, Bobby Jackson, like the team had nobody. It's it's weird in retrospect. I love Lafonso Ellis in Notre Dame. Well, it's weird they didn't take Pierce. I don't really understand that three. I guess that that's how highly they that people thought of the French back then. But it just seemed like 
and the mentality now would be like, oh, we get pierced. That could be like the number one score for us. The the uh, Vancouver Grizzlies things, they're just looking for bodies. I loved Mike Bibby back then. And I felt really vindicated on those Weber teams when he was basically the guy with the balls on, you know, those 0102 Kings teams. He was the guy they ran the play for, stuff like that. I don't have a huge problem with, I didn't have a huge problem with Bibby at two at the time because I, you know I really weird, liked though? him in college. It, it was tough cycling through those Arizona teams, though, because they were all so good. But then you didn't know, like, look, I'm not trying to say Mike Bibby could potentially be Miles Simon, but Miles Simon was an awesome, productive player at Arizona. Awesome. But I missed on was, that. I missed badly on that one. But he was a guy that I was like, I don't see it. I don't see it. So sometimes I'd be like, so wait a minute, Bibby. And this is just, again, being young and you don't, you haven't done your thousands of hours of watching it from a critical eye. You're just a dude watching this stuff. And our opinions are probably even stronger back then. But at least for me, I, sometimes with the Arizona guys, I was, I was right about Simon. I was right about Jefferson. I didn't realize that Bibby was going to be as good. And maybe I just sort of was downgrading everybody. Um, too much collectively because they had a ton of guys and they were good teams, but there would be like real highs and lows based on their pro potential. Chris, you said you were a Temple guy. Have you given up on Mark Macon yet? Or are you still thinking it might, he might. I think it, East it, Coast it, Toby he has Bailey? Like a, yeah, when, when they have like, a, when they reduce the big three to the solid two and it's just two on two, I think Macon comes back in. I know Macon was amazing for me. Yeah, he was a god. He was another one I missed on. I missed on a bunch of 90s guys. I really like Montrose. I got to say, when the Celtics took him, I was like, this guy, great jump hook, good footwork, knows where to be, where to go. And he's pretty good as a rookie. I don't, I never really understood what happened. So one other plot from this draft was just how weird the Vince Jameson trade was. Where I think it was, usually they waited to announce the trades till after the first round. In this one, the names were so big they felt like they kind of had to do it. So they had the hats. They uh, they both came with their picks, but pretty much immediately, um, they had to basically say, no, Gold State, don't get too excited. We're actually switching those guys. Peter Vesey was reporting on the draft that year. And he said, you know, Toronto's taking Jameson for Golden State at four. The Warriors are taking Carter for Toronto at five. And then he reported, there's also some money changing hands. And that was it. I don't yeah. we we still don't know how much money it is, but when you guys look back at that, Vince Vince on Golden State, is he better off or worse off? No. Well, that uh, version of Golden State, the Cohan version, I don't yeah, and I don't think he's better off. No, because the Vince thing from the beginning, you were like, wait a minute, what? Like, what is this? Like a guy can do this in an NBA game? Like, how come this guy didn't score more in North Carolina? Like, I, I think Vince needed everything to be his own the way it was. Now, maybe he would have been happier staying in Golden State because as much as everybody loves Vince now, he was one of the OGs of get me the fuck out of here, um, which got really weird. Um, and why anybody would rather play in Newark than Toronto, um, I'll never right. be able to figure out. But wasn't the... I don't know the rules on it now. I don't even know the full figure now, but wasn't the cap about $3 million? I don't know what it was in 98, but... Three million was the most you could put into a trade deal. Yeah, it was something like that. Well, we also had the lockout coming, so who knows if that had a factor? And it's weird though. You look at the '99 Warriors. John Starks. This is after the draft. John Starks, Daniel Marshall, Chris Mills, Jameson, Bimbo Coles, 
Terry Cummings, Eric Dampier, Jason Caffey. It would have actually made more sense with that rocker to, roster to have Vince Carter than but I another have, forward. I, God, Terry Cummings still? Jeez. Oh, yeah. He, uh, played, he played for 100 years. <laughs> God damn. I, like, Terry Cummings is one of the first guys. I was like, man, that guy. And then you were like, oh, that's right. They just lose to all the other good teams in the East in the playoffs every year. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, that, that one's tough to say hey, Vince's thing would have been different. I don't know that it would have been different because it was so incredibly impressive physically because then it became kind of this thing, at least in that first year, like, wait, Pierce is going to be awesome? And then they're like, but wait a minute, is Vince Carter? It was it was very, if you had said in 98 after watching Carter and Pierce play those first few months of their rookie seasons that Pierce is actually unquestionably going to have the better career than Vince, no one would have believed you. No one. Because the Vince thing was exciting and it made Pierce look slower just because he wasn't Vince. So I think Vince would have been him no matter what. I don't know if he would have stayed in Golden State longer, as you mentioned, with the whole Toronto thing. But I can imagine, as I said kind of earlier, with the Jameson thing, I'm sure plenty of teams probably looked at Jameson as the more solid NBA pro. So to to want him um, makes sense to me even 20 years later. Was there a weird thing with that with that Carter Jameson trade where like the Raptors had liquidity issues or anything? Like where they needed that that payment because they had been so bad over the beginning part of the franchise. I, I felt like I read something when I was researching where it was like maybe an interview with Glenn Grunwald, but it was essentially about the money changing hands was an essential part of the deal. Yeah, it might've been. We Well, so two things were going on this season. One is the lockouts coming and everybody knows that one of the frustrating things about this draft was we knew it was a mother load of talent and there were guys that we specifically couldn't wait to watch guys that were going to fun situations. And then it was just pause button for eight months and basketball didn't come back till February 99. So this draft happens end of June 98, eight months later, all these guys are suddenly playing. Nobody's worked out. The rosters are thrown together. There's a ton of movement. There's teams that were put together in like five days and they're getting thrown together. The other thing was that that 97, 98 season leading into the, into the uh, lockout for whatever reason, some of the teams were just terrible. Uh, we mentioned Denver won 11 games. Toronto was 16 and 66. The Clippers were 17 and 65. Golden State was 19 and 63. And Vancouver was 19 and 63. Denver was 20 and 62. So you had six teams that were 20 wins or less, which is really, really unusual. And they were bad. And this was like the league had expanded too much. There wasn't enough talent to begin with. And the lockout kind of reset everything. But, um, Really, really strange times. Um, yeah, like there would have been there would have been zero teams with less than twenty wins this year if they finished out the season. Just so to we're put gonna it in perspective. Yeah, right. So we're gonna do the redraft. Wanted to mention um, a couple comedy highlights from the draft that I've dug up on my draft diary. After Lafrentz got drafted, Rick Majerus was the TNT guest analyst. <laughs> He immediately compared LaFrance to Adam Keefe and we meant it as a compliment. And if you're a Denver fan, you can't be excited. Like Paul Pierce is still on the board and you <laughs> took Ray from France. And then Rick Majerus is like, he reminds me of Adam Keefe. So that was a problem. Uh, there was another moment. You mentioned Bonzi Wells earlier, Chris, when he got sure drafted, when he got drafted, they cut to him in the green room. He was surrounded by family members. They were all wearing matching white fedoras. <laughs> they looked like uh, 
I said it, it looked like a notorious B.I.G. video. The Minnesota Timberwolves in this draft, in 97, they drafted Paul Grant, a white stiff center. In 98, they drafted a Slovenian white stiff center, uh, Rado Nesterovic. So they went back-to-back centers. Congrats to them. Um, my dad was convinced at some point in this draft that everyone was wearing the same suit. And if you look at Carter and Jameson, um, their suits are very similar. And he thought there was one suit backstage that they were all, this was before everybody started making fun of the suits and people put real effort in it. So the suits are great. Uh, at the end of the first round, Turkey's Mirsad Turkan. Was that his name? You remember him, Rosillo? No. Okay. I mean, I have it up, I have it up in front of me here, but. Yeah. Well, Rick Rick Majerus compared him to Moses Malone, so that <laughs> so that happened. Where where did he compare him to Moses during the telecast? He gets drafted, and Rick Majerus immediately dropped the Moses Blown. And then yeah, I uh, thought it might have been a, like Shooter's Sports Bar or something like that. Yeah, he yes. played one season with Houston. I, I don't I didn't remember him all that much. He was he was six the, nine. I don't know. N- not great. And then the other thing. One of the reasons that we had, I can't believe we didn't mention this yet. Oh, wait a minute. He was on the Knicks. He was drafted by Houston. My bad. This was the Richard Lewis draft. This was a really kind of iconic draft moment where Richard Lewis is in the green room. He's a high schooler. He thinks he's going to go in the lottery. He starts dropping. They cut to him a couple times. He's getting sadder and sadder. They do a couple montages followed by the guys coming back being like, I don't understand why he hasn't been drafted yet. Then they cut to him. He's by himself in the green room. There's nobody else there. He's near tears. Seattle takes him 30 seconds. So he doesn't get the stern handshake. And as he comes out, he, uh, he's crying. And this became a seminal draft moment and actually like a good part of his story. But after that, they were much more careful about who should be in the green room and how that how that should all play out. It was pretty pretty uh, emotional at the time. So yeah, it's one of the worst. It's one of the worst um, green room nights in in NFL NBA history. Really. So yeah, it's it made the Aaron Rodgers thing seem like a Farrelly Brothers comedy. So <laughs> if you're gonna look at these drafts, and I I do the five star rating. So if you come out with a draft, a super duper star that's five stars. All-timer, four stars. Franchise guy, three stars. All-star, two stars. Quality starter, one star. Um, We did not have a super-duper-duper star in this draft, like uh, on the Tim Duncan level. I think Dirk is super close, but I so think wait a minute, how many? Wait a minute. Dirk isn't? How tough is... What do you have to be? You have to be a top 10 all-time guy. Or top 12. Oh. You have to be Hakeem. You have to be Kobe. You have to be Duncan. You have to be on that level. I have Dirk as a four-star. For a Pierce as a three-star. Vince Carter, two-star. Jamison, one-star. Bibby, one-star. Richard Lewis, one-star. And then for just, just really good starters, Al Harrington, Larry Hughes, Catino Mobley, Jason Williams, and Rafe LaFrance. No Ricky Davis? Yeah, Ricky was, you know. <laughs> Ricky was Ricky. years in the league. Yeah. yeah. Before we actually get to the drafting of these guys, let's hear from ZipRecruiter because the best teams start with great talent, but finding the right people can be a challenge. Just ask the Clippers. They took Michael Olo Candy instead of Vince Carter, Ray LaFrance, Mike Bibby, Dirk Nowitzki, 
Paul Pierce, Anton Jameson. When it comes to hiring for your business, ZipRecruiter can help you find the right candidates for your team fast, from healthcare to manufacturing to business services and more. And now you can try ZipRecruiter for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Ryan Show. That's R-Y-E-N. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 top job sites, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right skills and experience for your job and actively invites them to apply. You can even add screening questions to your job listing so you can filter candidates and focus on the best ones. And right now, try ZipRecruiter for free. My listeners can go to ZipRecruiter.com slash Ryan Show, R-Y-E-N Show. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Ryan Show, R-Y-E-N Show. ZipRecruiter.com slash Ryan Show. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. And a reminder, today's podcast is sponsored by ADT Commercial for Business. ADT Commercial serves businesses ranging from mid-sized organizations to large-scale enterprises. Think of them as a special team who has one focus, your business security. They provide a comprehensive line of security, fire, life safety, and risk management solutions, professional-grade systems for commercial-grade businesses. With ADT Commercial, every day is game day. Fortune 1000 companies are live on ADT Commercial for highly complex, scalable, integrated solutions that help solve their unique business challenges. And if you're looking for a partner to upgrade or take over the monitoring and service of your current system, ADT Commercial can help to painlessly install and maintain large-scale and multi-site businesses. They make it easy to switch providers. Their onboarding is predictable, dependable, and painless. Schedule a no-obligation security review with ADT Commercial for business. No pain. That's good in sports and good in business security. Visit ADT.com forward slash game day to learn more. That's ADT.com forward slash game day. So I thought we could uh, redraft this and figure out, do you want to do it just what the order should have been? Or do you want to do it who the team should have taken? Or do you want to do both at the same time? I have order should have been, but I can do which either, which either. All right, let's do order should have been. Okay. Um, Chris, you have the first pick. Rosillo, you take the second pick, unless you want the third pick. You want to trade up? You want to trade down from two, or you want three? Snake draft? <laughs> uh, no, it shouldn't be a snake draft for this. I don't care. I'll just take the second pick. I don't. Need, why? Do you want All to right. take Pierce? I'll do three. <laughs> so you get, Chris, you get one, four, seven, ten, and 13. Rosillo gets two, five, eight, 11, and 14. And then I'll take the uh, other ones. Chris, okay. You're, so I'm you're, on the clock. You're on the clock for the Los Angeles Clippers with the first pick of the 1998 draft. So the Los Angeles Clippers select Dirk Nowitzki. All right. So let's talk about this. Let's say this is actually how it played out. Would he have made it? Yes. He's too good to have not made it, but they would have screwed him up in the beginning. But I don't think he was, he would be screwed up. Like he probably would have been traded somewhere else. And I, I just think if you're that good, you you work out no matter what your situation, despite at that time, the Clippers are the worst team you could have been drafted to. Yeah. I mean, in, t- in some ways, I wonder whether or not Pierce would have been a better Clipper at this pick. Um, and if he goes on to become like a franchise legend there. Uh, but, it, you know, with hindsight, you can't, you have to pick Dirk. So here's the counter of that. So when I did the Book of Basketball podcast with Mark Stein about Nowitzki's career, he talked about when Dirk was a rookie, there were high expectations. It was such a great draft. All these guys were in there. They traded for him, all that stuff. And they put Nash with him. And he had a really tough time that first year. 
and um, the expectations really, really weighed on him. He had Nash as like his support system, but he was like a fish out of water. And everybody around that team said like Nash basically adopting him and teaching him how to be an adult, looking out for him, things like that really helped him. I do think there's a world in which I don't think he would have flamed out on the Clippers, but I think he could have gone badly. And then somebody else would have traded for him three years in. I do think there's a world where it could have gone badly though. I, cause only because I'm judging it by the entire nineties and two thousands with the Clippers, how many talented guys they have. And none of them really made it except for Elton brand. So who knows? It was such a toxic environment. Um, the other thing with, you mentioned about them taking Pierce there. He was an LA kid. Mm-hmm. That actually would have been would. just from, just from a marketing slash. We have to do something. The other team in our city has Kobe and Shaq. It's really weird that they were like, let's take Olawa candy over the local kid. I, I, I'll never The other understand. part about the Olawa, the Olawa candy pick is they had just drafted Lorenzen Wright in the lottery. And I'm not telling you like Lorenzen Wright was a stud, but he did play a long time. And it was almost like they drafted a completely different body type of the same exact guy. Number one, two years after. And now they had Lorenzen Wright in there and they're probably thinking, okay, like they didn't draft Olo Candy expecting him to be a duplicate of the guy they already had two years prior, but that's who he ended up becoming statistically. So, Rosillo, um, why don't you admit to everybody right now that you were a huge Lorenzen Wright guy? Because I can feel it in your voice. I liked him. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I, I liked him. <laughs> like, did you like him more than Stromile Swift? No, I don't think I like anybody. <laughs> I don't like Bar. It goes Barkley one, Moses Malone two, Stromile Swift three. Mersad Turk can four. All right. I, hard, yeah, I, I didn't realize that this whole LSU thing was just deep seated. I mean, I'll do a Tyrus Thomas segment with you guys later if you want to, but um, oh, so talented. It, apparently the personality just overpowered all the talent. Yes. Tyrus is a legendary, a legendary. You don't want that guy in your team guy. And you, I remember you and your dad tweeting about Glenn Davis and wanting him more than Tyrus Thomas. And you guys, you guys are right about that. You called, you're like, yeah, we got that. We got that guy from LSU. All right. So Lorenzen, right. Yeah. I, I don't have much more to add to that, but I, I kind of sneak. You're up on the, the clock. Rotation. Oh, you're on I'll the probably, clock. You're uh, number two. You got to take Pierce. I mean, look, I don't think the Dirk Pierce debate is really much. I just don't. Uh, this one's even easier because I, I don't, I love the Vince thing of, of thinking in the beginning of it all. Imagine 20 years later going, Pierce is going to have the better career. And he had the better career. He had much bigger playoff moments. Yes, he had a better team around him. The Carter bad luck stuff is, is totally true. But I don't, I mean, if, if, I mean, right? Are we in consensus on this one? There's no other choice other than Pierce at two, right? No, it's the one. I, I think this is how it should have gone. Dirk one, Pierce two. And then I think Vince Carter, who I'm taking third with Denver, is... I struggle with the Vince Carter Jamison thing, but I also really do think that the Toronto thing fucked up Carter in some way. I don't really understand it. His All exit or being there? Something about I remember going to seeing him in Boston his first two years, and especially the 0001 season when he went head to head against Iverson in the playoffs. That was his best year. And there was a game, I think it's even on YouTube, where they beat the Celtics in Boston on a buzzer beater by him that was like a fall-away 20-footer. And I just, if you were just saying, 
at that point during that season, who's going to have the best career out of Vince, T-Mac, Kobe, Iverson, Pierce? It w- there would have been a really good Kobe versus Vince argument. I really actually thought Vince's ceiling was at the Kobe level. And, it, and he was 25 points a game. He could do everything. I don't know what happened. And I, I do wonder if he had like even gone to a team like Denver, at least it's in the United States. I don't know if the Canada thing screwed him up. I've never been able to unlock why he was so unhappy there. It never made sense to me. What do you guys think? Well, he had, I remember when he, uh, when he, when he ended up in New Jersey and the haul that Toronto got for that was brutal. Um, although I always loved Jack Aaron Williams of the Nets. Yeah, me too. There was a guy that was doing a game that told me the story that, you know, as Vince was like getting ready to, to like walk under the court or whatever, he was like, how are you doing big fella? And, and Vince was like, you know, good to be back in America. Like he just, he really hated living up there. And I can understand <laughs> yeah. too, like. If I was a kid who grew up in the SEC, like I try not to judge you know, somebody think like we probably think Canada's great. I went to school basically, you know, on the border of it. But you know, if you're a kid from the South or you're a different part of the country, you just might be like, I don't I don't like this idea. My family, you know, it's another country and all this different stuff. And he wanted out of there. Toronto got nothing back. Luckily it was Toronto because they probably still retired his number because they're so nice. And I think they did a tribute video, two tributes to DeMar DeRozan this year. So <laughs> when wow. um when I think about Vince, though, I, I can't help but go through the playoff resume because you're right. That that one point loss to Philly in the Eastern Conference semis, so the second round in 2001, that's probably the biggest playoff stretch he's ever had. He had a 50 in game three. He had 35. He had 39 in game six. But other than, what, a three that he had with Dallas? In a game, was that game six in 2014? I'm, I'm trying to remember this off the top of my head as I'm, I'm scrolling through the game logs. Well, he he was 28 a game is in in the uh, 001 season, his third season. He's 26 a game, second season, 28 a game, third season. I said this to Hassel when we did the 97 redraft. I do think people overrate his career in a lot of ways because well, I, agree I think with if you, you ask, yeah. if you ask somebody under 25, who is better, Vince Carter or T-Mac? I think a lot of people would say Vince Carter. And the reality is it wasn't close. T-Mac was much better than Vince Carter as a number one guy. Chris, what do you think happened to Vince Carter? I don't know. You know, a part of me is like, you know, I know he spent three seasons at Carolina, but to, to what Rosillo is saying, like one of the stories you read a lot about guys is like, they just didn't want to really leave college. Like they were just really, really happy where they were at school. I know Rasheed Wallace was like that. And when Vince left that playoff series um, with Philly to go back and get his degree, that was one of the original kind of like toxic sports talk flashpoint moments that I he remember care. in my life. Yeah. Yeah. And it was like a huge deal. So, yeah, I think that to some extent, um, the Canada thing, it was just a lot different in 2000 or, you know, in the late 90s than it would be considered now with like Drake and how cool it would be to live there. I also um, what- think... We, you, you have a lot of people in your life at that point who are all telling you Kobe's much, Kobe's bigger than you. He shouldn't be. You're as good as him. You're getting paid right away because that was before they had put in the rookie scale. So you had a chance to make huge money basically after your third season. And I can see it. I could, I could, it was a variety of events, but I wrote about it in 2004. And then I basically took what I wrote in 2004 and put it in my basketball book. But 
I went to games when he didn't try. I went to a Clipper game in 2004 when not only did he not try, his body language was terrible and everything about the performance was basically like, I just want to get out of here. And you talked about how bad the trade that Toronto got for him was. Um, it was because he he was torpedoing his way out of there and that was why they booed him for 10 years. I think it's too bad. I think he was as talented as as Kobe and T-Mac and all those guys, offensively at least. I yeah, think he, it's also worth mentioning that back then, if you were not in like what we consider a major market, and back then Toronto was not really a major market, you didn't really get seen that much. Yeah. You know, it's it's not like there was this, it was not like there were like it was league pass and it, there were people watching five games a night on the regular like that. If Vince Carter was in Toronto, if somebody was in Denver and Denver sucked, like you just didn't get watched. I agree. Um, before we get to the rest of the draft, I want to do some draft facts, courtesy of Zach Cram from the ringer. We call these Zachs. Uh, there are four 20,000 point scorers in this draft. Pretty good. Dirk Nowitzki, the best ever number nine pick by Winshares. Paul Pierce, the best ever number 10 pick by Winshares. Not close in either case. In the lottery era, which 90, 1985 on, Ola Candy, the second worst number one pick by Winshares. Ahead of only Anthony Bennett. Well, we won't know about your guy Mark Kelly yet, Chris, whether where he fits in that. Um, the best undrafted guy, do you know who it was? Brad Miller, undrafted oh, yeah. out of Purdue. He is the second most accomplished undrafted player of his era behind only Ben Wallace, the other top undrafted players from this year, Earl Boykins, Mike James. 2004 champion, Mike James. So there you go. Chris, you're on the clock with the fourth pick you're picking for the Toronto Raptors. This might be mildly controversial, and this is definitely a totality of his career thing and probably also a how basketball is played thing, but I'm going to go with Richard Lewis. Wow. What do you think of that pick, Rosillo? Statistically, it's the pick. Um, if you did the VORP, number here. Let's see what what is in win shares. Um it's not Tyson Wheeler, so that didn't sort correctly. <laughs> uh, yeah, Lewis Lewis is statistically the guy. Um I would rather have my pick here in, in Jameson. I just would. Um Richard Lewis so to me was was the absolute poster child for complimentary player. Like I know what his skill set, I know what his size was, I know how you could stretch. Houston couldn't get him there fast enough. But he he was to me like a guy who got and I'm not even anti the contract, but there were moments where you'd forget he was even out there. So I would rather have somebody who's a little bit more comfortable when a bucket needed to happen um even though he doesn't have Jameson doesn't have at least Lewis was a big part of what happened in that Cleveland Lost in 2009. So, you know, I'm not mm -hmm. knocking him, but I just mentality wise, and I know the stats favor Lewis, I would, I would take Jameson. The uh, Richard Lewis run from 2004 to 2009 is pretty eye opening. He, he is not the first guy you would think of with ahead of his time, like the way you would think with like somebody like Ray Allen, ironically, who he played with, but, um, for that six-year stretch, he's 19 a game, six rebounds. 
He took six threes a game, 39% from three for six straight years. Um, you figure like if you put him in 2020, what's he shooting? 11? Like He's 12 threes yeah. a game. So I think he's you 39% a, for his career. Yeah. He's got green light. You know, I think not only do I think that was a really good pick, but you could make an outside case for him against Vince. If you know, all right, if I have Vince, I'm going to have this guy who thinks he's the best guy, but I'm never actually going to win anything with him. Versus if I have Richard Lewis, I know this guy could be the third best guy in a title team. I just got to get the other two guys. So you're taking Antoine Jameson for the Warriors at five, Rosillo? Yeah, but did you just retroactively kind of overrate Lewis? Because there's this is always no. my battle with this. Are we worse in the moment or are we worse looking at somebody's stats 10, 20 years later? And in the moment, I'll, I'll just remind everybody, there were almost, like Lewis is a guy that hit a corner three. You were like, damn it, he was open. He hit that three. Good for him. There's zero assists, marginal rebound numbers. He was a really expensive, really tall, straight out of high school, ahead of his time, spot-up shooter. I guess my problem with Antoine Jameson, who is going to make the Hall of Fame because he scored 20,000 points, and when he gets in, I think he's going to be probably the least talented Hall of Famer we've had the last 20 years. He would get his 20. He'd get his 20 and 6, his 20 and 7, whatever. The team never won. It never felt essential or consequential. He was in a bunch of different situations, right? He was on Golden State for six years or five years. And you look at that 03 Golden State team and that team was pretty good. They had him. They had Gilbert Arenas. They had Jason Richardson. They had Troy Murphy. They had Eric Dampier when he was actually good. Little Bobby Sura in there. Uh, Mike Dunleavy. And they Bobby went 38... They went 38 and 44. I just always felt like he was this guy that the stats made it seem like he should be making a max or a close. But if he was one of your two best players, where were you going? Whereas at least with Lewis, if he's the third best guy, I think he's just a better fit with whoever your best two guys are. Is that, did that make sense? It makes sense because you're making my point that Lewis is the complimentary guy. Like, I don't want to turn this yeah. into Anton Jameson, some incredible stud that's been overlooked historically. But, you know, Lewis was great in that series, the Eastern Conference Finals in 09 against Cleveland. Against the Lakers, he'd go for 34 one game, eight the next, 21 the next game, six the next. Um, Boston, that Eastern Conference final series in 2010 is a classic Richard Lewis one to me. 42 minutes, six points. The next yep. night, 41 minutes, five points. Then he plays 27 minutes, four points. 13-14, the last game of the series when they lost by 12, he played 41 minutes and scored seven points. So he was never a guy that I was like, hey, bail us out of here in this situation. And I'm not saying that Jameson is the epitome of bail me out guy, but I, I just would trust him in that situation a little bit more. I think it was telling when uh, Jameson went to Dallas in 04. And now he's on a really good team, right? And this is in technically the prime of his career. He's playing with Nowitzki. He's playing with Michael Finley. He's playing with Anton Walker. Uh, he's playing with a young Josh Howard. Marquise Daniels is on this team. And, you know, he just wasn't that great for them. He, he was the fifth leading scorer in the team. I think they thought it was going to be this transformative moment for him. But when we actually saw him on a good team, I think it was harder for him to fit in as a complimentary player. So I guess we're making the same point. Yeah, I think but we're all think, on the same I page. Think I think both of them were complimentary stars. Neither of them were actually. So I'd rather have Lewis, but I think it's a good debate. I'm at number six. 
which uh, is the Bucks. This is the last no-brainer pick to me, Mike Bibby. Yeah. Um, I really, I don't know what happened to him the second half of his career, but I was just a huge fan of his. He was good in the playoffs. Like he had some, he has some, some scalps from the playoffs. Like he basically ended the Steve Nash era in Dallas in 04. He, he kicked the shit out of him in that series to the point that Dallas was like, eh, we don't want to pay Nash. I thought he, he really went toe to toe with those Lakers teams a couple of times. Um, and I don't know what happened to him second half of his career, but I really liked this game. Yeah, I don't think there's any thought, debate yeah. on this one. Yeah, you know what Bibby yeah. was? Bibby was one of the first, and this is always something that's important, especially like when we're talking about Portland and all that stuff, where we used to be worried about guards that scored too much. And now, if, if now if you're a point guard who can't score, you can't play in this league. And Bibby was a great example of, of how good it can be when it's somebody who can get you buckets um, even though the assist numbers are probably lower than people realize, um, I think that was a product of uh, his team, though. That team had because so that much of his team passed so much out it. Yeah, it flowed through the big guys, and Weber and Divac had the ball a lot. He's always like, as soon as they got him, that team fell into place. White chocolate was so much fun, but the Bibby piece was what they needed. You look at his stats in O two, O two, they were the best team in the league, and I think they should have won the title. And the Lakers escaping that series is, in my opinion, a fluke. I really did think the Kings had more talent. Now, they also choked at home in a game seven, which has to be calculated. But yeah, but he had 29 in that game. You know, like he was, you're right. You're making great points here. He's showing up in these spots. Bibby was 20 a game in 16 playoff games that year. Uh, 44% 44% shooting, but 42% threes. Take it four a game. And uh, and he was also their best free throw shooter. And I think if Page shows up in that game seven, I think they advance. And you think like they had two shots to win that series and basically uh, basically blew both of them. He ends up, the, the, his career starts to get weird around the mid-2000s. He was still... I mean, he was 21 a game in 2006 and then gets traded to Atlanta and it just kind of goes south. And I, I don't really know the reasons for that. Chris, you're up number seven with, uh, we should have rigged this so you could bring for quick, Philly. No, but we just have to mention there's nothing better than Bibby ending it in New York. He His last year was with the Knicks. Yeah. They have to this have a, a record. How many point guards have ended in New York? Oh, I mean, at least a, a Baker's dozen plus almost every guy from the late 90s lottery winds up ending their career in New York at some Baron point. Baron Davis. Yeah, right. Steve Francis. Yeah. Steve. Um, I love when, <laughs> I used to love when Jalen Rose would do that. His nickname was City because he went out so hard. Um, yeah, that's... <laughs> Marbury. Um, although he ended up in Boston. Yeah. Let me ask you guys this. So for the for redraft purposes, to what extent do you guys... When, when can we make an aesthetics pick? Like you when can I want, make a right? You do when can I make want. a pick that it's all a right. redraft? You're at number the, seven with the Kings. I'm the drafting. Only rules is that there are no rules. I'm drafting Jason Williams. Then I think it's smart. I, I think, think that's stupid. the right pick. <laughs> well, at this point, it's all at least with uh, white chocolate. 
I don't know that those that ninety nine season was pretty brutal, and that ninety nine Kings team was weirdly important from just a basketball fan standpoint. Remember, that was one of the only fun teams we had that year. I liked them. Rosillo is just disgusted. Okay, it was fun. Like all of us, you're like, what is this? Like, what? <laughs> what is this? I was watching clips of him today. Yeah, and I go, it was it was unbelievable. Like just to see the game the way he saw it. Uh, it just, you almost wish like, could more guys kind of want to do some of this stuff? And then I go, remember when he couldn't shoot though? Remember when yeah. he No, to, I know. It's, it, I think a lot of it also, all the time? So, and, and walk out of huddles and get suspended for weed. I know. And he had, I'm not uh, even talking about that part of it. He's an overrated player. The highlights for sure have us remembering him as this dynamic guy when he was really kind of one of those dudes. It's like a lot of this stuff is really fun, but none of this, Shit leads to winning. He'd actually fit in perfect in today's game. He'd get 30 a game to be meme central, and you'd be like, cool, they're 30 under 500. <laughs> <laughs> He'd be a mentor. I would just say all, some, some of this is like uh, nostalgia because he was such a sh stark contrast to a lot of the way the basketball was played back then. I don't really it's, love anybody. It's fun. That, yeah. I, I don't really love anyone that's left, so I don't mind. That's why I mean, like, yeah, that's the thing is I'm not going to I'm not going to get that excited about Al Harrington. Sorry. Oh, I did. <laughs> I bet. <laughs> Can I I have one white chocolate defense for you, Rosillo? And you're right. His shooting was really abominable. He's a career under 40 percent shooter, which is pretty hard when you're a point guard. But he played 30 minutes a game for a title team in Miami. Yeah. In 06. And I don't know that cut that. That at least tells me out of all the guys we have left, there's somebody that we know could could be a top seven guy for a title team because he was. So you're on the all right, clock. Yeah, I was gonna, no, I was going to leave that out because it's a great, I'm glad you brought it up actually because it is a good point of him sort of salvaging his career and finding a way to totally change and help a team that was pretty good. But well, he was, was also, going, he was good on those Grizzlies teams though too. Yeah, I'm just thinking like, I don't know if people really realize that watching those games, though, it was fun, but you it was almost guilty. It was almost like this thing where, um, I don't know, every analogy I'm coming up with, they're just not going to do it. But no, I, I know what you're saying. It was, it's, it was it's this, it's like, I'm enjoying this, but I know it doesn't mean anything. Right. Yeah, but I just, I think that, especially for the age that I was at then, that actually was, that was fine. You know what I mean? I think the empty calorie part about it was, was, was pretty fun. Well, and also, if you're redrafting it for the actual moment, he did have value in that whole Slam Magazine early internet era. You know, there were yeah, we absolutely. Didn't have, we didn't have a lot of fun guys back there, but I do think, even though the percentages don't back it up at all, he was one of those guys that knew where to go and what to do, which I think was valuable, and that was why he fit in on those Grizzlies teams and especially that Miami team. He he didn't do a lot of what he couldn't do, and he was always in the right places and. You know, simple stuff like he knew how to throw an entry pass. He knew how to get Dwayne Wade the ball on the left side in the spot Dwayne Wade liked it. Things like that. You're on the clock with Philly, number eight, Rosillo. Just want to check with my area scouts here. <laughs> Double check what I'm doing. Uh, I don't actually want to do this because it only it we're we're sticking to the some of the advanced metrics here a little bit more than I thought we would, and I don't want to. But I'm going to take Catino Mobley. Um, Mobley got you buckets. And 
he's never a one. I'm not saying that, but before he started having some of the medical stuff towards the end there, like he was somebody you're like, this guy's really good. He's good. And some of those Toronto, excuse me, um, some of those Houston teams, like if you look at their records, then they were a little erratic and everything, but there were some decent teams in there. And I thought Catino Mobley ended up becoming somebody who was a second round pick out of Rhode Island that had a really nice career for him. And who knows, it could have gone longer. And then he dyed his hair gray for the big three. But uh, I always liked Catino Mobley. Me too. I had him seventh on my list. And I actually... Ahead of Williams? Um, yeah, I had... I'm with you. I thought it was a better career than I think people remember. He's also weirdly forward thinking for what his career was. He's the kind of guy that everybody would want now, right? He has, from the 02 season, really through the 07 season, his last good season, He's 39% from three, taking four plus a game. I got to watch him on the uh, 06 and basically the last four years of his career, but really the 06, 07 Clipper team. So I was going to a lot of those games. I had season tickets. I was really impressed by him. I, I really liked this game. He, uh, he was lefty going hard to the basket sometimes, which I liked. I thought he was a good three-point shooter. I thought he was a gamer. Him and Cassell were really good together. And, yeah, uh, don't you think I, like Mobley, Mobley's the guy that wasn't really afraid of anybody. Like he thought no. he was better in a good way. You know, we always talk about that outsized confidence, but I looked at Mobley as a fighter and a guy that was like ready to go. So everything I'm backing up everything you're saying on that part. Yeah. And you know, he's one of those guys that he just wasn't really ever on a good team other than that 2006 Clipper team that year. Uh, he was 13 a game, 12 playoff games for them playing 40 minutes a game. Um, I always liked him. He I he always carried himself like somebody who was better than he actually was, which was weirdly valuable. Um, okay. We're going uh with the number nine pick. This is Dallas. This redraft's a tough beat for Dallas. They go from Dirk Nowitzki to whoever I'm about to take. Corleone what? Young, Bill. Come on, go for it. Is Corleone still available? <laughs> yeah, he's um, still on the board. Sean McLeod, St. John's transfer to Duke. That was Duke's, I think, first transfer in. In the Coach K era, hmm. might have that wrong. Ryan Stack out of South Carolina. I'm Ansu taking Cisse. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> I'm taking uh, Rafe LaFrance number nine. And here's the case: he got hurt. Maybe there's an alternate universe where he does get hurt. But you actually look at the stuff, especially the first couple years that he was doing, where he was basically. The first, let's see, four years, five years of his career, he is basically 13 and eight, and he could shoot threes, which I think if you had the right coach was like, oh, the stretch five that I could just put 25 feet from the basket, he could shoot threes. That might be cool. Um, he obviously didn't find the right team. Then he went to Dallas, didn't really work out. Um and he was start his knees were starting to bother him at that point. Goes to the Celtics. Just a disaster of a trade. Uh, plays 17 games his first year. Kind of rallies back 05 season, where which was um a playoff season for them, where he was basically eleven and seven his last good year. But he's somebody like if you have a big who can shoot threes and give you a 13-7 for seven years, that's not bad. So he's my pick. Really? I, I mean, like, I, I'm kind of surprised here because I thought you would have gone for, I thought you would have gone for Harrington here. 
I just never liked Al Harrington's game. That's but he had honestly, a way better career than Rafe LaFriends, right? Way better. I just feel well, a better career than Rafe LaFriends. I don't know. A man. I just, I just, I just feel like you can find Al Harrington's. I can find these sure. guys that you know could potentially be twelve and five on a really good team or on a bad team. Like on those Atlanta teams, he's put up nineteen and seven. That teams are doing nothing. Um, I don't know. I was never a huge fan. I was. I like loved. Was, I, sorry, I loved Harrington's rationale though. Coming out, he's like, "My family does pretty well, so I'm just gonna go." <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously. Like, people are like, "Yeah, he's not really ready. He's not big enough." You're like, "Yeah, whatever." I mean, he was the number one <laughs> high school recruiting rank, and he just because you know, even if I go late, it doesn't matter. Like, my family does pretty well. I I think you're dissing Al Harrington here a little, Chris. You think I am? Um. So this is my pick, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you could take out Harrington. I know, you, but I really... If you, if you like him so a much. a couple of guys who are a little closer to my heart. Okay. This is for the Celtics, by the way, so you can really screw us if you want. You could give us out a little candy. I'll, I'll take... Uh, I'll take... I'll take uh, Matt Harpering here for the Celtics. Are you just being a dick? Yeah. Come on. Make I a am. real pick. Come on. This no, is I'll an take official redraft. Here, take you get Harrington. You get Al Harrington. Thanks. P- really appreciate that. Before we finish up here, I want to remind you Mac Weldon makes the most comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, and sweatpants you're ever going to wear. Their mission is to make sure that all your basics and beyond are smartly designed with premium fabrics, and shopping for them is easy and convenient. I'm going to tell you right now, I got this Henley, and your boy's not afraid of an expensive shirt, okay? Let's just put it that way. I remember when 100 bucks for a hoodie sounded expensive. Now, you might miss a car payment because of some of these hoodies, but not Mack Weldon. And I grabbed one of the Henleys. I threw it right on. I was kind of excited, maybe too excited. Maybe it was a quarantine, but I like to think it's the fabric. And I was like, man, I'm going to live in this shirt for weeks. And then may even wear it out socially when we're good to go. When we when we get the all clear, I'm not having some secret bonfire parties. So I don't know if you if you get a better personal endorsement than that, I'd like to hear it. Matt Weldon values its loyal customers. That's why they've created the Weldon Blue Loyalty Program. Here's how it works: create an account, it's totally free, and then place an order for any amount and never pay for shipping again. Once you purchase two hundred dollars worth of products from Mac Weldon, not only will you continue to receive free shipping, but you will also start saving twenty percent on every order that you make for the next year. So think about that. 20% on every order you make for the next year. The Weldon Blue Loyalty Program also grants you access to new products before they're released to anyone else, as well as free gifts added to future orders. For 20% off your first order, visit MacWeldon.com. Enter the promo code Ryan Russillo, R-Y-E-N-R-U-S-S-I-L-L-O, two S's, two L's. That's MacWeldon.com and promo code Ryan Russillo for 20% off your first order. Okay, so the top 10... We we have Nowitzki, Pierce, Carter, Lewis, Jamison, Bibby, Williams, Mobley, LaFrance, Harrington. Here's where those guys were actually selected. 9, 10, 5, 32, 4, 2, 7, 41, 3, 25. God. In case you're in case you're wondering if the draft was a fucking crapshoot, the draft is a fucking crapshoot. 
Priscilla, you're up with the number 11 pick, which was uh, Detroit. So does that mean you're going to go 12, Chris goes 13, I go 14, and yeah. you're done, or you go 15? I'm going 15 because I just want another pick. Yeah, I know that. That's cool. Thanks. Uh, it's, he shouldn't have lasted this long. Rafer Alston. Oh, Rafer. That was my heart pick, Rosillo. And he's, he had some like amazing runs in this career. He did. Um, you know, he, let's see, he didn't get into the, what did he play? His first, <laughs> he didn't even, yeah, he didn't even play in that first season. So 98, 99, he's not playing. And then he didn't really play until 03, 04, you know? So I'm not he's, telling you he was awesome, but he, he proved that a lot of people were wrong. Sometimes guys actually get better too. Let's not kid ourselves. I mean, he was 27 when his career started kind of taking off with the Miami team, but he was a solid kind of that early 2000s kind of point guard who was never going to be a star, but was a tough dude and, you know, found, found ways to compete with guys that are probably more skilled than him. I remember Daryl took over the Rockets for the 06, 07 season, which Rafer was already on the team at that point. And I remember talking to him about the guys on the team, who you keep in, who do you like? And, and he was saying, we, we, the stats, we actually like Ray for Austin. We think he's, think he's actually like a good piece for us. And I remember looking at the stats and being like, what? Cause you, you go look at his, uh, <laughs> field goal percentage just from Oh, four, 38%, 41%, 38%, 38%, 39%, 38%. That's a six year stretch for him. And at that point, you're just looking at field goal percentages and his assists weren't that high. I'm like, really? Ray for Austin? Like, I like his handle, but but now you look at the three-point stats and he was taking five a game in 06. He took six and a half a game in 07, five and a half a game in 08. He goes to Orlando. He's taking threes for them and he was always in like the 35 to 37% range. He had two really nice runs. The 08 Rockets, where they won 22 straight. He's a big and part that, of that And game. that magic run. Yeah. And the magic. He's, you know, if anything, when they brought Jameer Nelson back in the finals, it was one of the things that screwed him up. I like the pick. Good job, Brasillo. Who Thank is you. Who, What team had the number 12 pick? Hold on. I'm looking that up. Uh, oh, this was Orlando, ironically. Um. It's now disrespectful that Larry Hughes hasn't been taken, so I'm just going to take him at 12. I mean, you know, he... Is it still too early? <laughs> <laughs> I'm taking him for Orlando. He he scored 20 points in a season, didn't he? At some point? He had to have. I, yeah, let me double check here. Um, and he... Uh, yeah, he had 22 a game his third year in Washington. He still was only 26. I mean, he was out of St. Louis at 19 just after had, one year. And 23 a game in, in 2000, he only played 32 games for the Warriors. But uh, I remember when, see that O2 thing, he becomes a free agent and House's team signed him, the Wiz. And House was fired up. At, the, at that point, Larry Hughes was like 24 years old. He could, he could play the one spot or the two spot. It seemed like he had the potential to go up and be even better. And then that 05 season with the Wiz when I think he's playing with Arenas at that point, he's 20, 22 games, six rebounds, five assists, 2.9 steals, led the league. Larry Hughes was good. Then Cleveland traded for him, and for whatever reason, playing with LeBron 
add him to the list of people who played with LeBron and immediately became much worse. <laughs> when I think of Larry Hughes, the first other, other than his time with the Sixers, the first thing I think of is combo guard. Yeah. And the idea of like, and the idea that how seductive the combo guard was, it was like you were getting two guys at once. It's like, hey, well, look, he's a combo. So he can play a little off ball. He can play a little on ball. That was like the huge selling point for Hughes and Philly at the time. Can Priscilla, I, don't, push, look, don't look this up, Priscilla. I'm pushing back on something though. No, but quick. don't look this up. How many teams do you think he played with during his NBA career? Don't look at it. Larry Hughes? Yeah. Six, seven? Eight. Ah. <laughs> Also, if you don't think there was a Knicks run in there, you're lying no, to yourself. Because no, there was a Knicks run. <laughs> the Knicks, where all point guards go to die. Uh, push back on something. The Cleveland thing. Wait a minute. Do you actually think guys get worse with LeBron? They statistically may take a dip because they don't have as many shots. Like Kevin Love, does this mean he's worse with LeBron or he was just putting up massive numbers in Minnesota because nobody else was on the team and he could do whatever he wanted? I'm See, just I, asking you. I'm just asking you who yeah. made a leap when they joined LeBron's team. Just name every, me one every guy. team. Every team's one loss record. Yeah, I'm talking individual players. I just don't think like Bosch, like Bosch has two choices: go back to Toronto and have nothing happen of significance other than stats, and take a massive dip in stats and and win a couple rings. So when I've heard this argument before, I've never heard you make it. Where Larry Hughes uh, went from 18 shots a game with the Wizards to like less than that, but his three-point shooting went up. So I think LeBron, if you're looking at raw stats and playing with him, you're going to see dips from guys that were putting up numbers somewhere else, but I don't think they're necessarily worse players, and certainly the team isn't worse. My case is we've seen it now for 17 years. LeBron, oh, okay. likes LeBron, when you're his teammate, you're expected to do a couple things. You're not, you're like, if you think of a chef and you're like, Hey man, I can, I can do this. I can make stir fry. I can make pasta. I can. And LeBron's like, no, you're going to make sandwiches. That's what you're going to do. And that's what you do when you're LeBron's teammate. You do the things that to fit into the framework of the like team he likes to have. You're just doing that. And I don't think Larry Hughes was a guy like that. I think Larry Hughes suffered playing on LeBron's team. Right. I don't but think my, he was ever the same when he went there. I can't ever lose this argument, though, because it's like, yes, when you play with Iverson, you have to play a certain way. You set screens, you watch another guy I shoot agree. the entire time, that's you a cover but that's him defensively a different case, when, though. when Iverson, but no, but like, and guess what that leads to? Nothing of significance other than a fluky 2001 finals run because the East stunk. Um, I think most. Sorry, I think Chris. Mo That's okay. <laughs> that was really. But I think, that was really mean. Now we're in. <laughs> I think most alpha dog stars, though, usually teammates have to like sacrifice a little piece of their basketball self to kind of fit in with the larger frameworks. That's why I always gravitate to guys like Magic and Bird because those were guys that you put players with them and they figure out how to actually make them better. And pull yeah, but, out like another level of those guys. I just don't think there's a lot of evidence of LeBron doing that. Is I, my, the, is my the, case. The, the counter to that always will be: Did the team, did the team always win? So whatever he's doing and having other guys do, and whatever they're they're giving up. But remember too, like that Larry Hughes Cleveland run, like that Cleveland thing started off a whispers of LeBron of potentially leaving or not being happy. So Gilbert was doing. This is why I've always pushed back on Gilbert's cheap. 
Gilbert always spent because he oh, took he on everybody else's contract. He'd be like, okay, Larry Hughes still has money left. Boom, we'll bring him in. Okay, so what else is going on? Could Drew Gooden, okay, Zerbiak, um, Ben Wallace will resign. So he was doing this thing, and Larry Hughes was part of the beginning of this where they were trying whatever they could to throw any talent at LeBron to make LeBron feel better about the situation. I just think there I've, I've heard it before probably too many times. That's why I got fired up about it. But that because traditional stats dip when you're with LeBron, that somehow you're a worse player. I don't. I don't necessarily think those two are the same. That's all. Would you rather play with LeBron or play on a different team where you could get more shine? I know you have a giant ego. You you'd want to you'd want to be on Golden State going thirty eight and forty four, <laughs> but you're averaging twenty five a game. <laughs> no, I would hate losing. Trust me, I would I would hate hate uh, losing, but yeah, I would be I would be a very typical NBA guy, and then I'd be like, let's get that first deal, let's get like twenty six a game, and then all right, I've and then this is why you LeBron. love Antoine Jameson, right? Yeah, like hey, look, like I'd start following LeBron on Instagram and be like, oh my god, your kids are cute as hell, you know, just leaving comments left and right. And but like when he would tweet out something about WNBA salary, I would like quote tweet it, be like, tell him, King. Preach, and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and they'd be like, "Fucking Rosillo really wants to play with you this summer." Be like, "No, no, dude, he's just it's good, fam." Rosillo would go to LeBron and be like, "So I have some ideas in the offense." And LeBron would be like, "Here's my idea: stand over in the corner. Sometimes I'll throw you the ball. Just make sure you make it, or I'm going to blame you." And then I'd probably get traded. I'd probably get traded a year and a half. You know what I wouldn't yeah. do is the Isaiah Thomas thing where as soon as I got to the team, I would start telling LeBron he took my MVP. <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> Listen, LeBron, LeBron is the surest 55 wins a year, regardless of his supporting cast that we've had since Bird, since Bird and Magic and Michael Jordan. So it's, it's not a criticism. It's just a fact that when guys went to his teams, they had to sacrifice something because he has the ball that part all the time in all these different situations. And that's just the way it is. Chris, you're on the clock. 13. Who, um, who, let me see who this actually was. This was... This was Keon Clark. Oh, it's Orlando again. So Orlando has Great 12 pick. and 13. Great pick. Wait, you took, you actually took Keon Clark. No, this was Keon Clark. Oh, I life. thought you were excited. I thought you were actually taking him. Okay. No, I I'm going to take. Uh, I'm going to take Harpering here. Okay. I want to take Bonzi, but I I understand that that is flawed. I understand that there's a lot that goes into picking Bonzi, but Bonzi was one of my like real cult figures in this this time period. Thoughts on Harpering, Rosillo? I like Harpering. They did. Um. I like Keon Can you, Clark better. I don't. I don't think traditional stats tell the Keon Clark story. I feel like I let Rosillo down by not taking Clark there for <laughs> sure. Can you compare and contrast your game with Matt Harpring's Rosillo? No, I'm more athletic, or was. <laughs> uh, Matt Harpring, eighteen Matt Harpring's a game a good player. Yeah, yeah, eighteen a game in Utah. All right, I have a. Uh, Wait a minute, it's me, isn't it? Oh, yeah, you're up. Yeah. Russell is yeah, up. Okay, well, if we're doing this, if he landed in an alternate universe, may have been healthy, give me Michael motherfucker Dickerson because that dude could ball when he first came into the league. And unfortunately, 
he was really hurt and um, couldn't make it happen. But his first couple years in Vancouver, uh, well, wait a minute, Houston and Vancouver, um, he lit it up. He had he went on this stretch there in that 99-2000 season where I was like, this guy's awesome. So, maybe and I'm he wrong. signed it. No, I'm with you. He signed one big contract and it was totally worth it. And then he just got hurt. But, you know, I could he have been Michael Finley if he doesn't get hurt? Like, maybe. I, I really liked him. I thought, I'm with you. I, it's weird when you do the redraft and that's somebody, like him and LaFrance, at, LaFrance, I think, are two good examples of if they don't get hurt, it's a completely different uh, discussion. But I like that pick. Um, okay, so the 15th pick was Orlando again? Orlando had another pick? They had 12, no. 13, and 15. Yeah, they had 12, 13, and 15, or at least according to basketball reference. Um, what? All right. So wait a minute. They did Keon Clark though, did he play? They must have traded him out. Yeah, because he ended No, they up, they they kept all did, three, I think. No, he he was traded. He was to traded Denver. draft night. Yeah, to Denver. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh no, no. He wasn't traded draft night. He was traded. He was traded right at the before the deadline. So he made it like half a season there. That was part of a Keon dueling thing. All right. All right. For the people listening, we have one pick left. And here are the choices. Bonzi Wells. Rasha Nesterovich, Ricky Davis, Nazi Muhammad, and Ruben Patterson is, and his electronic tracking bracelet. <laughs> Could the Kobe <laughs> stopper? Ruben Patterson, one of the rare you, NBA players who actually was not allowed in one of the states where they played NBA games because of his criminal behavior. Ruben fucking Patterson, man. Ruben, the, Ruben Patterson Google dive is fucking tough. There's some dark shit that would not have flown in 2020. So I'm not It didn't fly it. then. Yeah. It it didn't fly during an era when a lot of things flew. Um I can't believe I'm doing this, but I'm going Bonzi. So here's the case for Bonzi. Um he he peaked at 17 a game with Portland. He had some some good moments on Memphis too when they were a playoff team. Bonzi was like playing for winning teams for the first eight years of his career. And I always felt like um, one of the things I liked about him was he was one of those guys, if he was like playing Kobe, he thought he was as good as Kobe was. Or it's like, oh, this is great. Now the two best players in the league get to go head to head. Like that was his <laughs> mindset. And uh, I also liked his game. I liked uh, I liked how he, he could post up. He could shoot. He could... Uh, shoot threes he didn't make them but it seemed like he could he could make them but he has a really weird 06 playoff thing with the Kings in six playoff games he averages 23 and 12 rebounds I I, I have no explanation for it on Portland seven game series which they lose I think to the uh, Kings he was 19 and 7 um, also pretty nuts so yeah, he, uh, said he was pretty a big bonkers. He, when you when you think about like eyeball emoji over an NBA story in 2020. It's like, we don't have a lot of guys who just don't show up for road trips. Yeah. You know, like that, that was the thing that happened in, in, in the late nineties and early two thousands is Bonzi Wells getting suspended. Cause he just didn't show up for a plane. He so could he score, had, man. He, when he would score though too, like, I think part of it was, you'd be watching Bonzi. You'd be like, what does he have right now? I'd be like, the dude has 20. He'd be like, he has yeah. 20 already. Yeah. And 
He should have gone was, instead of Michael Dickerson. I mean, you know, I was having some fun there at the end. But Bonzi being the last pick, too low, because he did, you're right, Billy. He had some stretches there where he was scoring against other guys. So would I you just, guys would you say that he he had a similar game to Pierce? I'm trying to remember like Bonzi in action. Kind of that unimpressive no, in again thing. Yeah. Yeah. So I Googled Bonzi Wells arrested. Here's what came up. <laughs> Great. First, first story, Ball State star arrested for battery. Um, second, Bonzi Wells tells his side of legal fight. Third, uh, Thugs Are Us, which was a uh, Bleacher uh, Jailblazer story. Um, Jailblazers, fourth story. Fifth story, Bonzi Wells fined by Blazers after gesture toward fan. Sixth story, Portland forward strapped of co-captaincy. Those are your first stripped six stripped of cocaine. Was he strapped? And that's why. Wait, wait. <laughs> that's yeah, not a, those were the top six for Bonzi Wells arrested. Yeah. So there you go. All right. So to recap our top 15, number one, Nowitzki, number two, Pierce, number three, Carter, number four, Lewis, five, Jameson, six, Bibby, seven, white chocolate, eight, Mobley, nine, LaFrance, 10, Harrington, 11 Austin, 12 Hughes, 13 Harpering, 14 Dickerson, 15 Bonzi Wells. Any apologies for Ricky Davis not getting picked here? No. I When I heard the story about a team meeting and he was supposed to be at some function and he was like, sorry, I rented a boat. And they were like, what? And he's like, I rented a boat. I'm not losing the deposit. I, I can't lose the deposit. They were like, Rick, we need you. We need you here. I'm like, no. Like he, he could score. He's probably better than some of the guys we named. But I mean, hell, what are we talking about? Though you just took Bonzi Wells. I took Dickerson, who had like two good years. <laughs> so Ricky Davis should have gone in the lottery. But I think all of us. No, I. We've I think all had he, enough I, experience with him. There, the Boston stories from him in the mid two thousands, where they felt like they pulled off this amazing steal to get a guy who is still young and could average twenty points a game and all that stuff. They get him from Cleveland. He's the first one who's like, hey, this isn't LeBron's team. It's my team. And Cleveland's like, we're trading you now. Um, goes to Boston. He's pretty good. And he was actually like pretty popular with the Celtics fans, which is really weird to think back on. But they're hit, a point, they're hit a point where I think internally Boston was like, we have to get him away from Paul Pierce. Yeah. he's He, he was like in the 90210 episode where Steve Sanders makes the new friend and who introduces him to all these different things. And you just know the guy's not going to be on the show very long, but bad things are going to happen for Steve Sanders. Uh, Paul Pierce, you could see like he, his 05 behavior is like really erratic and weird. That's when he gets kicked out of the Pacers game in the playoffs and takes his jersey off. They lose by 30 to Indiana and they almost trade him that summer. And he was, he was, a lot of it had to do with he was trying to keep up with Paul Pierce. I mean, I, with Ricky Davis on and off the court. Ricky, I think, along with Allen Iverson, one of the legends, one of the off-court legends, like did not sleep. Um, the people that he would put in for tickets that would come to games, things like that, like, <laughs> like, uh, just yeah, uh, he moved around. There was a reason for it. Any last? Let words? me ask but, you guys. I wanted to ask you guys if there was anybody in the this 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 draft that even now today you're like. I still hold stock on this guy. Like I'm, I'm not really willing to give up on Felipe Lopez. <laughs> Who do you have, Rosillo? 
Well, Felipe Lopez was a tough one for me, the St. John's thing, because, you know, he's on the cover, can't wait for the season. Zendon Hamilton ended up being the better player. Yeah. And I was like, you know, it just kept going. Like each year at St. John's, you'd be like, okay, he's not as good. He's not as good. I think Nazar Muhammad should have at least been mentioned here. Let me figure out somebody here who I kind of like. Corleone Young was available for quite a while. Um, he went 40th. I remember reading Corleone Young stories and being really excited. Uh, you know who I, I really, like? I'll admit, I kind of liked Doliak a little bit. I thought he would be better. That Utah team was really good. Yeah. That Utah team, they beat Arizona, right? Um, I really, that, uh, I also like Doliak. I'm with you. I I had the same feeling you had. Who was the guy you mentioned right before Doliak? I think Nazar Muhammad at least needs yeah, to be I like, mentioned. Yeah, I like he was, Nazi. You know, he was good enough to be a rotation guy for a really long time and had some had some better peaks than just that. So, Nazar, you know, he, I, God, let me check his last year. Yeah, I mean, he played 18 years, dude. Can I take you back to the late 1990s? And various conversations I had in bars at Boston being upset that we didn't take Nazi Muhammad and that we should have known because Antoine played with him. No way. Told them. Wait a minute. <laughs> yeah, 10? You wanted it, that to happen? Because remember, Tuan was actually pissed off they took Pierce instead of Nazi Muhammad because of the no, not a, thing. Not at 10. I was just no, mad it, that we didn't figure out a way to end up with him. Where did he actually go in the draft? He went, I thought he was second round. Yeah, Nazar went. He went 29th, and that was the last pick uh, in that year. So right. So Nazar went to uh, yeah, Utah. and my point is, my but point is, I was upset. The, I was upset the Celtics never swooped in and grabbed them. Because yeah, I'm that telling point, you that Tuan was upset he, he didn't go ten. Go yeah. back and read that stuff. You might be right. Uh, who was your guy that you still hold stock in, Chris? You never told us. Uh, I think. I mean, like I, the Felipe Lopez thing was a bit, but it was the same thing with Rosillo, where it was just always like a St. John's guy coming in, usually a New York kid who seemed like he was going to be the savior of the program. Um, other than that, I have a guy. I, I mean, Rosillo. I do. I am I remembering Shimon Williams too fondly? No, no, because no, he, he was a baller he was in college. But he, yeah, he I, so I'm going to go guy. with Shimon. Yeah. I think so, I have his jersey still from UNC. <laughs> my guy is uh, Miles Simon, who went 42nd in this draft. And this was at the height of me overrating guys' performance in March Madness and just assuming there was an immediate 100% correlation to NBA success. We learned the hard way with Miles that that wasn't always the case. But I liked his game, and it's weird. He, I'm looking at his... Uh, college threes. He made 176 threes in college. Um, he was an 18-point-a-game guy in college. It's guys like that and Bo Kimball, and I just, there just seems to be no rhyme or reason for who succeeded in college, who's like a 6'4", 6'5", scorer, and then it just doesn't translate at all. And then other times it does, and I've stopped trying to figure it out. Yeah, like Aaron Brooks, when he worked out out of Oregon, the little scorer, the guard, and he started yeah. putting up numbers for Houston... You're like, wait, so it's going to work with this guy? For whatever reason, I was anti-Simon back then. Hmm. I, I was. I like, like I said, look, I'm sitting here telling you I like Doliak, which I was really bummed when Bill immediately was like, I like Doliak too. So people can go, oh, two white guys from Boston really like Doliak in 1999. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, I, but I immediately made my switch to Nazar Muhammad only because that's how I felt about it. Can I, can I leave you with a re-readable on the redraftable real quick? You can, but can I make one Doliak comment? 
please. Oh my God. He also Another fit one? in. No, he fit into my whole thing. He was he was good in March Madness. He was a center on a team that succeeded and made the final four. And that was why I was like, oh, well, we should get that guy. I saw him in March Madness. It was still in that mindset. Anyway, you'd be a great NBA reading. coach. People were asking, somebody asked me, like, how will this impact the NBA draft? I go, it'll be easier because the front offices don't have to worry about NBA coaches going, who's this guy, kid on Valpo? <laughs> right. <laughs> like, they're in the Sweet 16. Because that's what every front office guy tells you. is like, our staff will sit around and watch the tournament, and then they start wanting us to draft these guys. Okay, this is from the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel about Tractor Trailer. And it said that he's dropped 20 pounds at the end of Michigan's basketball season, but 40 pounds if you include the start of the season. I thought that was incredible pro Milwaukee taking him uh, going to draft. Like, no, he didn't just drop 40 pounds of last year. They gave us that he had to drop 40 from the start of the season, 20 since the season has been over. Um, the Wisconsin State Journal said that it's an eight-player draft anyway. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> Okay. Oh, man. In, in defending the, the trailer pick. On the other side, Dallas, a lot of, you know, not everybody, but a lot of people were trashing the trade, saying they got a kid from Germany that no one's ever seen play and Phoenix's third string point guard. That was from the Fort Worth Star Telegram. That was Steve Nash. And then Don Nelson, after the draft, said, quote, Pierce was my second favorite player. I just think that Nowitzki's going to be better. Well, if Dirk went to Boston to play with Rick Pitino, who we haven't made fun of nearly enough during this uh, <laughs> podcast, but don't worry, he he took it on the chin in the he ninety-seven heavily in the ninety-seven redraft. He takes it in the chin, but uh, I think Dirk would have been completely screwed up by Pitino within weeks. He the funny thing about the Pierce deal, like Rick was was done with Tuan. And then he loved Pierce. And then when Rick left, what, a couple of years later and Jim O'Brien took over, do you remember how, how significant it was? Like he was making a point to praise Paul on the way out and was making sure it was like, I'm not saying his nice stuff about Tuan because Pierce became his favorite guy once he got there because he and Tuan, you know, and look, Tuan was not an easy guy to play with or probably coach either. I went to a lot of Pierce's early career games those first four years. His rookie year, he would disappear for like five, six, seven minute stretches and quarters. And and you'd be like, oh, now I can kind of, he's incredibly talented and I can also see why maybe he fell. And then when his career took off after Patino left, um, it, it was like a light switch went on. And he just became so much more physical and uh, athletic and all that stuff. What a draft, fellas. We did it. 1998, the redraft. Uh, thanks for doing this with us. Thanks, Bill. Okay, thanks for listening to that. We have them all over the Ringer platform, uh, the podcast network, my podcast, Bill's podcast, the basketball podcast, the redraft of Palooza from the Ringer, and many more years to come on this one. And more famous people scheduled to join the podcast. Please subscribe as much as you feel the need to.